Harold James Bennett, bring your family up. We're going to dedicate him today. Come on up, guys. Come on, Sutter. Come on up, guys. Oh, there he is, Harold. Oh, it's those lights in your eyes. Many of you, you know the Bennett family, Jeremy and Savannah. They're very much involved in the ministry here. Savannah helps with the children in nursery. And um, Jeremy helps on security. Now his eyes are open. He's looking at me. <laughs> are you going to go back to sleep? They're a tremendous blessing in their children, Bristol and Eldon and Brighton and Sutter. And um, we're going to lift Harold here, who was born in December 7th, up to the Lord. And I was reminded as we were worshiping that you remember the story of the parents brought the, the children. And the implication there in the Greek is they brought the little ones, the infants, to Jesus, and he blessed them. And this is very much uh, something that we're doing right now is we dedicate Harold, and that's what... Jeremy and Savannah are wanting to do, to dedicate him to the Lord, bring him to the Lord, and ask for blessing upon him in his life. And, um, you know, in our lives, we are to do that as we bring our children. It, they've done that with their children as well uh, before Harold here. And they're also asking for us to pray for them, for God's wisdom, and for God's, um, you know, just uh, guidance, as it's very difficult today, isn't it? to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And culture and society comes against us, but we will stand with the Lord in the word of God. And uh, it, that's why a congregation is so important, that we encourage one another in that. And we pray for our children. That's why the children's ministry is so vital that we're you know, just constantly reminding you of that. And I hope it doesn't sound like a, you know, I'm being redundant all the time, but... Um, the kids coming here to hear truth and be loved and ministered to and held and, and yeah, now you're awake, huh? Yeah, he's smiling at me. See? <laughs> They're precious. I just can't say it enough. So if you would please stand, let's pray for this precious family and this precious little one. Father, I thank you for Jeremy and Savannah, the, the blessing that they are to me personally, to this congregation. I thank you for their children, for Bristol and uh, for Eldon, for Brighton, for Sutter. Um, they just bring a smile to me and to so many when they come through the doors. I thank you for their service, and I thank you that we could be a part of their lives. And I thank you for this young boy, this baby, Harold. James Bennett, and we now just lift him up to you as he's dedicated to you. It is Jeremy and Savannah's desire to make it a priority for, for you, Lord, to have your hand upon him, to raise him in the ways of the Lord. And I pray that as he grows in the weeks and months and years ahead, that he would grow to know you and to love you and have a desire to walk with you. I thank you for him, that we get to watch him and be a part of his life as well as this family. So I pray for just the wisdom and courage and direction as they raise their children and Harold here. 
in the ways of the Lord. We lift them up before you for your hand of protection, your hand uh, of um, just blessing be upon his life. And Lord, that uh, he would uh, have a desire to know you and walk with you all the days of his life. So Lord, I thank you for this congregation, our children. We thank you that um, we can bring Harold here before you and, uh, and that he may come to know your love for him in a very real way. So Lord, we dedicate him to you and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so Bye-bye, guys. Mom's got her hands full, huh? <laughs> Jeremy here. Bye, guys. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Middle schoolers, you can now go. If you want to be dismissed, you'll go up in the youth room. The rest of us, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. So we continue our journey through Hebrews. I tell you, one of the, the many blessings, it's a blessing to watch the church grow and, and more people coming and are hungry for God's word. And uh, I always said, you bring the people, I'll do the services. We'll just keep, you know, uh, ministering the best way we know how as, as God gives us the strength. But uh, one of the greatest blessings is watching families come in with kids, two or three children, because it's so needed, isn't it? Yeah, and I hope we're all on the same page in that, that we don't see it just as child care, but children's ministry, ministering to them the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. And, and we want to make that a priority and, and see the youth kids come. And Wednesday night, this place full of youth. And, um, and it's, it's a privilege to be able to serve you and your family in that way. Sorry, Jerry, if you need a Bible, Jerry's got some in his hand. We're going to cover Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, there's some towards the front platform, but uh, as we get into our Bible study this morning, we saw in the previous chapter, chapter 3, that the writer here of Hebrews, and we don't know who the human instrument uh, was that wrote this book. Many scholars believe that it was Paul the Apostle, which very well could have been, or Barnabas or Apollos. But one thing for sure, that the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit inspiring whoever wrote this epistle to write these words down. And you recall that there was a warning to the Hebrew believers, that is the original audience, this epistle's for us, but those Hebrew believers in the first century, he is warning them, the Lord is warning them against a hard heart which leads to the sin of unbelief. So Psalm 95 was quoted, Today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And in this warning against a hardness of heart, which leads to unbelief and then a life which is rebellious towards God, they are exhorted and we are exhorted to hold fast the confidence of the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, as you recall in chapter 3, verse 6. And then towards the end of the chapter in verse 14, told once again to hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So the writer here of Hebrews would take the reader back and take us back to that story that's told to us in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. And you recall that they came to the border of the promised land. They were told to go in and take the land. 
but instead they sent spies into the land. The spies came back and they said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's a problem. There's huge cities, there's big walls, and there's big guys. There's giants that are in the land. And the people began to murmur. They began to, to complain. They said, why did we come here, Moses? We're going to die in the promised land. And because of their continued disobedience and unbelief, that generation would die out there in the wilderness, and they did not enter because of unbelief. So those believers, as well as us, are being told to be faithful, to consider our apostle and high priest, Jesus Christ. And let's pick it up now in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So the story back in Numbers used as an example, as a warning to the Christians, that if you respond to God in the same way that they did back in the wilderness, again with unbelief and hardness of heart and rebellion, you're not going to enter into his rest. So continue to believe in God and what he is saying concerning this rest that he wants you and I to enter into. The warning repeated, don't miss God's rest. And now the question that, that we can have is, what exactly is meant by rest? Uh, what is the definition of rest that the Bible gives to us? Well, when we go to the Old Testament, it speaks of, first of all, the Sabbath rest, doesn't it? It's repeated in the book of Exodus, the seventh day was holy and a day of rest, uh, the Sabbath rest. And then we know that also God would talk about rest when you go to Deuteronomy chapter 3, uh, verse 20, that when that new generation would finally get ready to go into the promised land, remember that the generation that came out of Egypt, they all died out there in the wilderness. It was the largest graveyard in the history of mankind. And they spent 40 years out there, and this new generation that is raised up would go into the promised land led by Joshua. And in chapter 3, verse 20, as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, God preparing them for that, he says, enter into the rest as you go into the land. And they would indeed go into the land as told by God. But as we come to the New Testament, what is the New Testament, the new covenant definition of rest? This is important because it was Jesus that then stood on a hillside in Galilee and he cried out to the people. Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In other words, rest from the burden of sin and the world as you yoke yourself to him, as you learn of him, as you come to him. You see, Jesus is our rest personally. They were to enter into his rest when it came to the Sabbath. When we go to the New Testament, we know that Paul in Colossians chapter 2, he says that Jesus, he is our Sabbath rest. That the, the feasts, the festivals, the new moons, Sabbaths, they were all just a shadow of the reality. Jesus is the reality. He is our Canaan rest, if you would. He's the one that brings us a life of victory and a life of entering into his rest. Oftentimes when we find ourselves upset, when we are in turmoil, when we're facing challenges and our own giants in our lives, that we trust in the Lord. We are to trust in his promises given to us. And as we do that, he desires to take us a step further that we end up resting in him. 
And there is a promise of rest that we can learn of him, consider him, that has been the exhortation in this book really so far as the theme is Jesus is superior. He is the creator of all things. He's superior to any of the angels. He's superior to Moses. As we go through the chapter here, he's superior to Joshua and what Joshua brought. Joshua can complete that rest as they went into the promised land. And we see Jesus, chapter 2, verse 9. We are to consider the apostle and high priest because we can trust in him. And our rest comes from him. And you'll find rest in your soul. The rest of the burden of sin. The rest of knowing that we're going to go to heaven because we are partakers of the heavenly calling as chapter 3 opened up telling us. And it's interesting that the writer says, let us therefore fear. That's really important to understand. That there's one thing that we're to fear. That is the promise that we have to enter into his rest. We can come short of it. That is what we should be afraid of. A hardness of heart, an unbelieving heart. And that person, you or I, or the person that we talk to, it, as they choose to trust in him, then there can be that sense of rest, isn't there? It's true in our lives. But if our hearts are hard towards the Lord and what God's word says to us, if we say, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to lean on my own understanding and try to figure this out in my own strength and, and what the world tells me to do and culture and do what is contrary to God's word, if you or I harden our hearts and we doubt and we dismiss God's word for our lives and choose not to trust in him, you and I will not have rest that comes from him. We are to rest in him as we trust in him. And I know that in my own life, and many of you, you say the same thing, that when we end up facing the difficult circumstances or we're wondering or having decisions to make or when we come against the giants in our own lives, that we can say, Lord, I just trust in you and I just yield to you. I come to you and I hear you, Lord. And oh, as, as we do that, the rest that comes into our souls and into our hearts and as the writer of Hebrews continues developing this in verse 2, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The children of Israel didn't go into the promised land because they heard the report of the huge giants that were in the land, but they lost faith in their huge God who promised to drive out those inhabitants and those giants. God wanted them to walk by faith, not by sight. And God gave them his promise to them that they are to go in and take the land, that I'll drive out the inhabitants, uh, that you're going to receive what I have for you. So trust him, have faith in him and what he said he would do for them, trusting his word, his promises. And as the gospel was preached to them, the gospel, that word, of course, means good news. The children of Israel, the gospel, the good news is that there is a land of milk and honey that I'm going to give to you, God said. The good news is I'll give you that land. The good news is I'll drive out the inhabitants. The good news is I'm going to bless you and provide for you and I'm going to protect you. But they did not believe in God's good news to them. They cried out, we're but grasshoppers. <clears throat> and, and we're going to be gobbled up and they're, 
the inhabitants of the land are going to devour us. And as verse 2 tells us, the reason that they did not enter rest in the land is they didn't mix God's good news with faith. That they didn't trust God in what he had revealed to them. It wasn't that they didn't hear what God had declared to them. <clears throat> it was repeated over and over again, the promises. But they didn't respond to it. They had a hardness of heart to what it is that God told them. People can hear the good news of salvation, the gospel of salvation, but if they do not respond to it with faith, with belief, then they won't enter into that eternal rest, promised for anyone who does believe. But I do want to bring it home just a little bit closer to us in our walk with the Lord, us as Christians. You see, you and I, we miss out in a life flowing with milk and honey because we end up not believing God's promise. We don't believe that his promises are true for us. We doubt the sufficiency of the word of God, his direction and protection, the peace that he wants to give to us, the wisdom, the strength. And what ends up happening to us spiritually is what happened to them in the Old Testament. They were out in the wilderness for 40 years. And I have known there have been seasons in my life, unfortunately, and, and I've talked to many Christians that have that desert experience that their spiritual life is like a wilderness, a desert, because they're not trusting in the Lord and entering into that rest as we come to Him and enjoy Him and stand on His promises and as we live in His love and we start murmuring, we start complaining, we start being confused and we become weak and I'm a grasshopper and the world's going to devour me and we're very anxious. In verse 3, for we who have believed do not enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. As we believe the gospel, the good news, as we believe his promises, we enter into his rest. And then now the writer of Hebrews is going to remind us that the idea of God's rest goes clear back to the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. Let's begin to look at that in verse 4, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. We know the story of Genesis chapters 1 and 2, where God created for six days, and then on the seventh day rested. <clears throat> the work was finished and completed after six days. Now, don't just think of it as God created and worked for six days, and then he took Saturday off. He took a vacation. Um, the concept is he completed the work of creating, and then there was rest. God rested when he completed his creative work. And contrasting that with the nation of God, that generation full of unbelief, hardening their hearts, and the task of going into the promised land was left unfinished as they never entered into his rest because they never believed his word given to them. What is the rest for you and for me? What does it mean that, Pastor Jeff, you say Colossians 2 indicates that Jesus is our Sabbath rest? You see, Jesus from the cross cried out, it is finished. It is done. He finished the work of atonement for you and for me. And as I believe that and make that my own and get it down into my heart, then I can rest. 
I don't have to have all the guilt and the shame of sin that fills my heart and soul. I don't have to be weighed down and burdened down with sin, but I am forgiven, and there's tremendous joy and rest that comes to us as we embrace the fact that the work is done and the price has been paid. You see, those who are unbelievers, not having received the forgiveness of sin, there can be tremendous turmoil and guilt and shame in their soul. And understand that the rest that God has for us is available for us now. For those of us who will not harden our hearts and believe his word and believe the gospel. And you see, entering into the rest that we have in Jesus is not this. I have got to strive in doing this restorative work for God so that I can enter into his rest. No, it's believing that Jesus Christ, who loves you, who loves me so much, that he went to the cross and he proved his love for us that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5. And from the cross, he cried out, it is finished and I am forgiven. And rather than I've got to work somehow to earn that forgiveness, I've got to make amends what I did wrong rather than just receiving his forgiveness. I've got to do some kind of work or service to God. And it is also some Christians that for some reason believe that I've got to earn my forgiveness. I've got to earn my salvation. I've got to strive to earn heaven and God's love and acceptance rather than realizing the truth of what God's word declares to you and to me in this new covenant that we are under, the concept of rest. Come to me. Matthew chapter 11. All of you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that word rest means ceasing from striving and just abide. Yoke yourself with him personally. Walk with him. Believe him. Learn of him. And then we will enter into the rest that he has for us. You see, we don't rest from doing the work of God and living for him. But we rest in the work of God and living for him. Believe in what he says. When it comes to Christian works, your Christian service, your Christian life, if you are burdened down and heavy laden in your heart, then you are carrying something that God didn't give you to carry or you're yoked to something that is hard and burdensome. So Christ beckons us to enter into the rest that he has for us as we come to him as we believe him, as we yoke ourselves to him. Don't make the mistake. What happened to them out in the wilderness to the children of Israel because of unbelief? Don't you Hebrew believers go back to works of religiousness? And don't you at Calvary Chapel, don't you Christians try to earn God's favor and God's approval and earn that forgiveness and salvation it all comes through Jesus and what he did for you and for me. In verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, 
Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 1. God said to the children of Israel, look, I've set the land before you and go and possess it. Do not fear or be dismayed. And on that day, when the spies came back, they should have entered into the land, right? But instead, they refused because of unbelief. And here we're being told today is the day to enter into that rest, that Jesus is superior, that he's the captain of my salvation. He is sufficient. I can enter into his rest, believe in him and faith in him. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Joshua would lead the children of Israel into the promised land after 40 years of doing laps around Mount Sinai. There in the wilderness. A new generation led by Joshua. And Joshua, as you read that book, is a book of victory. But they did not completely take the land. The people of Israel did not enter into all the blessings that God had for them. So Joshua was not able to secure it for them. But the greater than Joshua, Jesus, has for you today secured it. For you to enter into that blessing and rest of God, which is complete. You and I have victory in Jesus over sin and death. He died for our sins once and for all. He rose from the grave. He's alive. He's provided for us. And now there is a rest for us as we just realize that he did the work and he completed it. I, I like verse 10. Let's look at it again. As the work is complete for us, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Please don't miss this. Just as God rested because he created the world in Genesis chapter 1. He rested. The work was done. The rest that we enter into today is, is not trying to work for your salvation or strive for salvation or merit God's salvation. It is resting in and trusting in and having faith in the greater than Joshua Jesus who died on the cross for you and for me. And he did the work our salvation and we can rest in that and believe that resting comes what mixed with faith and one of the things that my dad taught me that work was good i think we see in the scriptures that work is good and and i grew up just believing that it was instilled in me and that rest must be earned and many of you you have that kind of mindset you're workers providing for your families, you work hard, you have businesses, you work the land, you're one that, that works out in the fields, you guys are such workers and, and, and construction workers and mechanics and teachers and nurses and all kinds of different fields. But you see, as we work hard in life, we can carry that mentality of working hard, rest must be earned into our spiritual lives. And, and I know I did for many years. And we can tend to think that it's not spiritual to rest. That there has to be this striving and earning rather, rather than just resting. That Jesus has saved me. 
He did the work of forgiveness and salvation, and I can just enjoy that, receive that, rest in Him, and the works I do for God, I do it with rest and with peace and joy of God's promises. It's a different mindset. I don't stop doing the work of God. I don't stop, you know, uh, doing that, you know, and desiring to live for Him. I don't do the works of God to get saved. I do it because I am saved. I don't work to secure my salvation. I work because I am secure in my salvation. And I am so thankful and grateful that Christ died for me. And he dwells in my heart. And I want to do the work of God. I rest in his promises. I rest in his love for me. And that he desires to use me. That Lord desires to use you. Isn't that incredible? And I know that one day, because he is the captain of my salvation, that I will enter into that eternal rest of heaven. So, verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Here's the interesting thing. You and I are being told, if you're going to labor, labor in this, and to enter into that rest. That's what you're to do. Be diligent or make every effort to enter into that rest. God wants us to have rest in our relationship with Him. Don't do what they did in the wilderness, having a hardness of heart. The sin of unbelief, which we talked about now in chapters 3 and 4. But you believe, trust in the one who has done the work for you. Don't go back to religiousness. Don't go back to the animal sacrifices. Don't put yourself under the law. The writer of Hebrews is going to show us as we continue in this epistle that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for forgiveness of sin, not the animal sacrifices. That it all points to Jesus, fulfilled by Jesus. The law, as Paul would emphasize in the book of Galatians, was to show us that our need for Jesus, to show us that we're not righteous, but that we're guilty. We break the law. So believe in what is being declared to you, what the Word of God says to you. And speaking of the Word of God in verse 12, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Believe the word, have faith in what God says. Faith comes by hearing, right? Romans chapter 10 and hearing by the word of God. And the writer here telling the reader that the word of God is living, is active, and it is powerful. And the Greek word, you know, there uh, for powerful is where we get our word energy. The penetrating power is greater than any two-edged sword and reaches the innermost being of a person. I think that one of the reasons that many Christians don't have rest in God's promises is because they don't know God's promises. They don't know God's word. There's not an emphasis in, in knowing God's word. There's no devotions of reading their Bibles, you know, daily or consistently. We give you God's word because it is alive. And many will say to me, you know, God really spoke to me as we studied the scriptures, as I had my devotions. That's because it's living. It's alive in your hearts. The word of God inspired. It is God breathed and it is powerful. Paul would write in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, So shall my word be that which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return 
to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. God's word is not dull. It pierces the hearts. The penetrating power of the word of God cutting to the very core of, of a man's being. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. After service, many times people will come to me as I'm saying goodbye, and they'll say, oh, today, you know, you really spoke to me. You were talking to me, Pastor. I wasn't talking to you. The Word of God is speaking to you. God is. I know that it's the Word of God that's working in your heart, dealing with your heart, cutting the heart, like a surgeon's scalpel, because the Word of God will deal with the intents of the heart. Nothing is hidden from him, verse 13, from God. He sees the heart, he knows our hearts, and the Word of God comes to our hearts to encourage and to exhort, to instruct, to correct, to rebuke, to comfort, to expose the heart, to purge the heart, our motives, deals with our hearts. The Word of God is absolutely incredible. And that's why I want to be faithful in giving you the Word of God. Because it is truth that is piercing our hearts. It is alive. And then as we finish the chapter in verses 14 through 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I know that I am to believe, to have faith, right? To enter into that rest. I read and I know God's word. It, it pierces my heart. But I can have those times, and so can you, where we begin to doubt and we question. We have fear that comes into our lives. We murmur. And I focus on my failures and inadequacies rather than God's victory and his sufficiency. But then I see, and I know that I have a great high priest that is in Jesus Christ, who understands, who sympathizes with my weaknesses, who knows my fears and doubts because he was tempted in all points yet without sin. And he has compassion for me. And in those times I can just, again, in verse 16, let's read it again. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, this would be a powerful, powerful verse to those Hebrew believers that are reading this there in the first century. They would say, really? That we can come to the throne of grace and find, you know, the throne of God and, and find mercy and grace in time of need? We can come boldly? Because they would think back to the tabernacle. They would think back to the temple that as the temple and tabernacle had those two rooms, behind the veil was the Holy of Holies, right? And there was the Ark of the Covenant, and there with the mercy seat, and with the cherubim, and only the high priest was allowed to go into that room, the tangible presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God there in the Holy of Holies. And he, the high priest, was the only one out of the whole nation to be able to go into that room, and that was only once a year on the Day of Atonement, for a short time after elaborate washings and cleansings that took place. And he had to do washings and cleansings and sacrifices for his own sin. And it was a very sobering thing to go in to the Holy of Holies for the high priest to do that. And here these readers are saying that we can come boldly 
to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace in time of need? Because Jesus is our great high priest, describing the unique character of Jesus as our high priest. No other high priest is called great. Remember we talked about Caiaphas going through Luke's gospel that we just finished up? And and we looked at Caiaphas, the high priest. He was corrupt is what he was. Aaron wasn't called a great high priest, not at all. We know that no other priest passed through the heavens. No other priest is called the Son of God. And you see, because he is our great high priest, we can come to the throne of grace with confidence and assurance, not in our own confidence, but because we have a merciful high priest who sympathizes with us that we may obtain mercy and grace. Mercy means not getting what we deserve. What is it that you and I deserve? We deserve hell. It's what we deserve. Grace means getting what we don't deserve, the unmerited favor of God. And now we have heaven, and it is available as I need his grace and mercy every day of my life. I realize, Lord, I need you constantly. I need you daily, and I don't have to hide from God. Listen, you don't have to hide from God. You are told to come to God. Because you have a merciful and compassionate and sympathetic high priest who passed through the heavens, who did the work, who knows exactly what we go through, the struggles that we have, the weaknesses that we feel, the shortcomings that we have. He is compassionate and merciful and graceful, and he's there to help us in our time of need. So hold fast your confession. Hold fast to it. And this would mean so much to these believers that were looking on the temple there in Jerusalem and seeing the smoke rise from the the prayers, the incense being burned and the sacrifices and hearing the trumpets and the people coming to celebrate the feast. And here here the Christians are huddled in little homes, feeling so weak and wondering, what does this really mean to us? in these incredible words that you see the old covenant didn't bring you to the presence of God. Everybody was kept outside except for the high priest on that one day. Now you as believers, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, that you can come into his presence anytime you want. You can stay as long as you want and do it as many times as you want. Isn't that an incredible privilege that you and I have? So hold fast. Hold fast that confession. Listen, folks. Enjoy him. Love him. Walk with him. You will do more in grace and more in love than trying to do it in your own energy, striving and trying to earn and trying to, you know, Uh, merit that favor and earn his love and all of this listen he loves you that's why he went to the cross he did the work so rest in that enter into his rest and believe his word for you because he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think and in your time of need in any need on any day at any moment we come into the throne of grace and we come to our compassionate high priest who desires for you come to me Come to me, he says, learn of me and yoke yourself to me. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this this wonderful uh, chapter, this epistle. And, Lord, 
that we can come into your presence because of Jesus Christ, that he is the way to the Father. And I do pray that this morning, if there's anyone that is here in the sanctuary, in a coffee shop, maybe listening on live stream, on the radio later, that you've never come to salvation in responding to the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose from the grave. He is alive. That this is an opportunity for you to do that. For you to, to recognize your need for him. He is your salvation. He's the one that completed the work on the cross as he cried out, it is finished. He rose from the grave, which proved that he's the son of God, validated what he did in dying for your sins. And he's at the right hand of the Father and the invitation is given, come to me. He is your salvation. It's faith in him. It's not a church. It's not a pastor. It's not your parents' faith or your spouse's faith. It is you coming in faith, believing in the gospel message, the good news mixed with faith, trusting in him. He's calling you right now to come to salvation. If you've never done that, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And you can do that right now, right where you're sitting, with sincerity of heart to say, Jesus, I come to you. I believe that you're the compassionate and sympathetic high priest. That you're my Lord and Savior. That died on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. And you rose from the grave. You're alive. Speak into my heart. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart and my life as Lord and Savior. And I want to enter into that rest of knowing you and walking with you and loving you. I thank you for hearing my prayer, for saving me. And I want to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Listen, if anybody prayed that prayer this morning, I want to ask you to do something very simple. That you're saying that I've made a decision today. I want you to put your hand up and put it back down. And I can't see everybody that's here today, everybody that's listening. But here in this sanctuary, if that's you, just put your hand up and put it back down. Anybody at all? Maybe you're out in a coffee shop and put your hand up and put it down. It, raising your hand doesn't save you, but you're saying you've made a decision for Christ. Okay. But for those of us, as we're just being respectful, that maybe your spiritual life has been striving and earning, trying to gain God's approval, not entering into that rest, maybe a, a hardness of heart, not believing what he has for you. And so, Father, I pray for those who have experienced that, that today that they would say, I'm going to walk out of here, entering into that rest and believing your promises and responding in love to you, Lord, not out of a sense of duty, but devotion. And to walk with you and to know you and to enjoy you and to stand on your promises. And yes, I'm facing giants or I may be having decisions to be made. I have need, but Lord, your promises are true for me that you'll supply all my needs. And that you're my refuge and you're my strength. 
and that you will see me through and you promise to work all things for good for those who love you. And I love you, Lord. And I just want to day by day as I come to you right now in need to the throne of grace that I know that you're going to help me because you're the sympathetic and compassionate high priest. Lord, strengthen me, help me, be with me during this time. Lord, to, to know you and walk with you. So Lord, I thank you for today's lesson. And I want to enter into that rest, not into that wilderness experience that I've been in, dryness of heart, but Lord, to be refreshed and renewed by you and your word and promises, your word piercing my heart here today. And it's in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you for those who are praying that prayer because I know that there are probably several that are and that as they leave this place, it would be full of joy and living in your love and entering your rest day by day. I thank you for today. I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Would you please stand? God is so good, isn't he? So wonderful. I, I pray that today's teaching